Good morning. It's Saturday, the 9th of October, 2021. I'm Joe Triton Schmidt. Uh, I am in Gaziantep, Turkey, and here is another episode of the Conspiracy to Commit Poetry podcast. Um, if you haven't listened to these before, or you have been listening, uh... You know, what is this thing? Well, what this thing is, is I usually read a couple of poems. Uh, I don't go any kind of deep analysis. I give a quick uh, reaction to them as a kind of a triggering text. And then I, I just wax on. I, I, uh, I speak extemporaneously on subjects uh, pertaining to uh, poetry, poetic vision, poetic practice, uh, you know that that sort of thing, and and life, and God, and and uh, and and Turkish food or something. Um, I don't know if I've talked about Turkish food. I I haven't talked too much about my location. I remember in an early episode I was talking about the uh, tramway. I guess I could describe where I'm sitting right now. It is another beautiful sunny day in Gaziantep. It's only rained three days since May. So, uh, you know, it's always sunny in Gaziantep. Uh, we are one hour away from uh, the Syrian border. Uh, probably closer uh, to the Syrian border than one hour. Uh, one hour away by car uh, to uh, Halep, a.k.a. Aleppo. Although, as I look outside the window of my office, I can see uh, an apartment building uh, that houses... Uh, Many of the people who fled the troubles in Syria. Uh, that's one of the social realities here in Gaziantep. Uh, the city absorbed uh, millions uh, of Syrian refugees. Turkey absorbed millions of Syrian refugees from the war in Syria. Uh, yeah, man. We're already off topic, see? But... You know, that's what I do. I sit here, I look out the window, uh, and I just let my mind uh, spread out a little bit. If I look out the other window, which looks out onto the balcony and beyond, I can see some hills in the distance beyond the uh, mall, and uh, there's some haze out there. Everybody's out driving around on a Saturday making smog. So, yeah, you know, Los Angeles weather in Western Asia. And I've got a couple poems today. The, the poems I picked out uh, are by two writers from uh, different generations, uh, different regions, different backgrounds. Uh, they're both similar uh, in the sense of having uh, a little bit of a, of a or a lot of, a lot of bit uh, of, uh, you know, what I consider to be true working class writers, you know, people that, uh, writers that had to, uh, work, uh, in, uh, production oriented environments while trying to be an artist. Uh, I don't think enough attention is given to those kind of artists. And, and one of them is alive and well, and I would say up and coming. Um, I'm not sure if he's 60 years old yet. Um, he might be, he's somewhere in that, you know, fifties, maybe, maybe in his sixties. I don't want to, I don't want to 
make him too old. He's got some white hair. He's got grandchildren. Uh, and he's published a couple of books in the last couple of years. Uh, and that is uh, an artist who goes by the name of Up From Some Dirt, U-P-F-R-O-M-S-U-M-D-I-R-T. Up From Some Dirt, visual artist and poet. And uh, I'm going to read something from his 2000. 20 book, Deifying a Total Darkness, um, which was published by Harry Tanku's Books. Uh, and I want to make sure that I got the date right on this thing. It is, uh, I believe it is a 2020 book. It might be end of 2019. Um, but I got the book in 2020 in the mail, so, and it was a brand new book. So I'm looking to, oh, yes, it is. Copyright, Up From Some Dirt. 2020, uh, the ISBN 978-1934-639-290, Harry Tanku's books, Michael Scharf is the editor, harrytanku's.cloud, shop local, and support independent booksellers whenever possible. Uh, You can also uh, check out Up From Some Dirt from upfromsomedirt.com, that's U-P-F-R-O-M, S-U-M-D-I-R-T.com. You can write U-F-S-D at upfromsomedirt.com. Gumroad.com backslash upfromsomedirt. These are all the contact infos. Uh, Here's another book called To Emmett Teal uh, and and a number of other projects. Um, So, yeah, this is Up From Some Dirt. Um, I guess I'll just jump right into his poem. So uh, I, I know uh, Dirt personally. Um, he, uh, he has another name. He has a couple of names, but uh, I think his, his uh, birth name or whatever is Ronald Davis. He uh, owned, co-owned a uh, bookstore in Lexington, Kentucky for many years called The Wild Fake Books. Um, he and his business partner and, and life partner, I believe, Kentucky Poet Laureate Crystal Wilkinson. Uh, they sold that store to, uh, I think, an artist collective. Uh, and they have gone on with their uh, publishing careers or academic careers. Uh, Dirt does not... I, I don't believe he teaches anywhere. I don't think he's, he's in the academic thing. Um, what I know about him, uh, I... I've gathered in conversations I've I've had on on a couple of occasions visiting the bookstore when they when they owned it in uh, Lexington a number of years ago, and uh, and and of course online he's he's one of these people that uh, you make friends with online you, you poets when they meet each other online it, there's two ways that they uh, tend to treat one another one is to be like you know uh, go away I don't want I don't like writers you know I, th- I think. Poets don't like other poets a lot of the time, uh, or sometimes you know uh, you you strike up a little bit of a of a uh, professional friendship or uh, you know friendship of craft or whatever I don't know what you want to call that but in any case um, you know I've had all kinds of uh, aesthetic and uh, social and political debates with Dirt um, and uh, laughed and traded songs and things like that with him and a number of. Uh, you know, uh, writers and artists on uh, on social media. 
And uh, I was very excited when this book came out, mostly because of its art. Um, you know, I, th I think uh, from some Dirt's uh, talent, it goes way beyond poetry. Uh, his, uh, his book design is uh, excellent. And I hope he will be designing many other books. I know he's done some of uh, Crystal's books and, and some others. So... Uh, Another connection uh, with Dirt is he, uh, well, his very old friend, uh, Jude McPherson, uh, a.k.a. J.C. Mack, a.k.a. left-handed Juju Press, uh, Black Spaghetti Western uh, Publishing, uh, has a small zine in the old tradition of the, of the uh, Xerox store small zine. Uh, Jude McPherson had a, uh, a journal, or has a journal, called uh, Neutral Loaf, and uh, he published a poem of mine in there. You know, I don't know, 100 people read this, if we're lucky. I don't, I don't know what the distribution of that is. It might be more than that, I don't know. Or it could be six people, I don't know. It's one of those deals. Um, so, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm getting too personal about all this stuff, but um, I don't buy a lot of books from living writers, but... Uh, you know, what I, what I admire about Up From Some Dirt is he did not go to a Master of Fine Arts program that I know of. He did not come up through academia. Uh, he's a guy from Louisville, uh, Kentucky. He worked in a bread factory for 15 years. Um, you know, uh, and it's just very interesting biographical stuff. He, I, I had a long talk with him one day in his shop and he was describing his father um, who was one of these uh, pirate radio guys back in the day and he had like an antenna in his backyard and he would broadcast and uh, this was a function of mid-20th century uh, you know popular popular science and uh, also I, I think a function maybe of uh, black defiance or black de liberation, you know, hey, we're going to broadcast our own, our own stuff. Um, but in any case, this left a, an enormous impression on, uh, on Ron, a.k.a. up from some dirt, um, you know, his father's uh, antenna to space. And, uh, you know, this idea that, um, oh, by the way, Ron's black, uh, uh, and uh, you know, I think it'd be fair to describe him as a Pan-Africanist, and and uh, he's, you know, that's that's where he comes from. The the poem I chose today uh, touches on a little of that stuff. Uh, if you read Deifying in Total Darkness, I'm a white guy, you know, you read some of this stuff, and it, it's it's you know, it's not written for the white audience necessarily. Uh, you know, it's it's intra intra. Pan-African writing, um, and getting back to Ron and, and, his, and his dad's uh, broadcasting, his antenna against the stars, uh, Ron's major uh, theme as a writer is this idea of, um, you know, black cultural survival and in a white supremacist world, you know, or despite a white supremacist world. Um, you know, we're not talking about uh, 
Ares and Zeus and Thor and Odin and uh, all of the myths of, of the European uh, Caucasians. Uh, what about uh, the myth of, of African peoples? And uh, what about uh, the, the genocide of, of, uh, of black myth and you know, the, the permanent impact of uh, colonization? You know, what, what was lost in the colonization of, of Africa and Africa's peoples? And, uh, you know, things are not just hunky-dory now uh, because, you know, because Martin Luther King or something, you know, uh, John Kennedy or whatever, uh, uh, we're, we're still living in a time of, uh, of cultural genocides. And uh, so, yeah, you know, Ron's interested in creating, uh, reinterpreting uh, myths Black myths, Black American myths, Pan African myths, uh, and superheroes and such. So uh, I know uh, Ron and and you know, Ron came up with a cohort of writers in Lexington, Kentucky called the Afrolatian Poets. Uh, one of the most notable among them is Frank X. Walker, who is a, a classmate of mine. He was a former Kentucky poet laureate. I believe he's a, a professor at the University of Kentucky these days. Um, but, you know, I know when the Black Panther movie came out, you know, uh, Frank, who's not terribly active on, on social media that I follow anyway, uh, you know, it was like it was all comic books, Black Panther, Black Panther. And, and for a minute, uh, the Falcon uh, in Marvel Comics, uh, who's a black character, uh, and, and he came up through the, the Captain America stories, you know, Falcon was uh, Captain America for a while, you know. So there was all this sort of buzz um, about, you know, black pop culture myth. So whether we're talking about, you know, African continental traditional myths, uh, calling out inappropriate uh, use, distortion, appropriation of that kind of myth, um, and making sure that when, uh, when we colonize, uh, space in our imagination, because we have not, the human race has not, uh, colonized, uh, space. Uh, I, I don't know if that'll happen actually. Uh, sorry, Elon Musk, but, but, you know, uh, wh okay. So that's important too, because I, if you know me, I'm not necessarily a futurist. I, I don't want to go to other planets. I'm going to die on this planet, inshallah, um, but there are futurists, and, and when we think of futurists, uh, sci-fi nerds and, and stuff, we think of this, this kind of uh, stereotypical uh, nerdy white guy. And, and, and a lot of these nerdy white guys are friends of mine, you know, uh, and I love them. But, uh, yeah, man, there's a lot of black nerds, and they want to go to space, too. And uh, space is going to be African, you know, uh, that's 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 what Ron's talking about. That's Ron's. Uh, that's up from some dirt's uh, mission here. Um, that you know, uh, heaven, the seven heavens, and uh, the the worlds of myth and uh, the science fiction space of an imagined uh, future and space and uh, technological civilization. Um, 
is is going to be black and uh or include black people or whatever you know i i, I have no use if you're out there going like what about all all lives matter don't listen to my podcast if you're one of those people this is not for you uh but i i uh so i i i read this book uh deifying the total darkness in little little bits and pieces cuz i really have to be right to read it you know it, because it gets painful at times uh uh for a white person reading it cuz it's not you know all the little sensitive uh white people things like oh they're not talking about my stuff you know uh uh that that all crops up so you know you really have to be i have to be in a in the right frame of mind to to give this stuff a fair reading um to be in the mind of of the author the best that i can um one thing that's helped me really enjoy this book is being in turkey where i'm i'm really out of the american context right now um and I'm in this place anyway. Turkey's a place where uh, at least two continents come together, uh, and actually, you know, the Ottoman Empire was in Africa too, in, in Egypt, and you know, in the Nile. So uh, Turkey's a good place to read uh, to read about America or read about uh, to read Americans. So uh, my original choosing of these poems I've gone 20 minutes here waxing on about I don't know um, but my original choosing of of the two poets is is uh, I was looking for something sort of uh, working class or whatever so uh, I chose a poem from up from some dirts deifying a total darkness called up from some dirt applies for a job so it's this uh, you know one page uh, no, no stanzas, uh, resume. Okay. Up from some dirt applies for a job. Work experience. I am spirit machine. Three centuries of soapstone and cowrie shell and postmodern mythical technology. Mines is a digital rasp. I'm a son of Shango and not a son of Shaft or the love child of the Mr. Bojangles iPhone app many of you want me to be. Seven generations removed, I am an Ashanti King wannabe in Dada sneakers, shooting dice for ramen's money between the Black Muslim Mosque and the used bookstore that was once a whites-only museum. Only my tongue is temple. A collection plate of black consciousness. Seance as equally sacred as science. According to a long-lost voodoo calendar, I was born in the year of the zombie. I am spirit machine. Machine gun runner supreme. There is a afrosheen in my circuitry. My nanosciences glow and they gleam. My motherboard teems with songs to honor the dead by. The shoes of the fisherman's wife is some jive-ass slippers is my theme song. The entire Junior Kimbrough discography is a rotating ringtone. And Elegba beatboxes in my voicemail. I'm forever rhyming under rubble, squeezing blood from the blues, and when lucky, from its titties. I live on and on, 
the living loop sample for the ancestors. But even Don Cornelius ages, and I have yet to have the sons and daughters of Nat Turner follow back when I heart thingy all of their posts on Instagram. I'm really distraught over that. I may need therapy, or in the very least a sincere hug, or a good cry over black coffee. I am spirit machine, a ghost of Malcolm Xmas past, and Gungan X Machina. But I work well with others. I need zero supervision to complete a task. So that's Up From Some Dirt's poem. Up From Some Dirt applies for a job. And a lot of stuff going on there. Um, I hope I gave that a a fair reading. Um, it gets very sad there at the end. It's kind of got this Jimi Hendrix thing where, you know, if you know Jimi Hendrix's story, you know, he uh, serves his country honorably in the Vietnam era. You know, he's jumping out of an airplane, hurts his back, and that spares him from being uh, used up in Vietnam like my daddy and a lot of people's daddies, black and white in America. In that generation, Jimi Hendrix uh, joins the Chitlin Circuit, and he's playing guitar with... Uh, uh, you know, Ike and Tina Turner and, uh, and some other greats of uh, black American music, man. And uh, what happens to him next? Uh, he, he goes, well, he goes to New York and he gets discovered by uh, the bass player of the British band, The Animals, Chaz Chandler. Chaz Chandler takes him back to London, uh, puts a band together for him, uh, sticks Jimi Hendrix at two white boys from, from England, Noel Redding and Mitch Mitchell, and uh, they put together a band called uh, the Jimi Hendrix Experience, and uh, uh, they change uh, popular music forever, actually. A fantastic band. And uh, rock and roll is never the same, and popular music is never the same. The guitar is never the same after the Jimi Hendrix Experience. Uh, Jimi Hendrix is huge in, in, in Europe and in England, and he comes back to America, and he's huge in America with white audiences. Uh, he plays Monterey Pop Festival and this and that. But, uh, you know, he, he plays a lot of sort of blues-influenced uh, music, and some people have referred to Jimi Hendrix as the last blues man. And, and uh, one of Jimi Hendrix's great laments is he, he did not have the popularity with black audiences that he really craved uh, as a black man, you know? Uh, he eventually, uh, the uh, transatlantic band that he had, you know, Hendrix is an American, Noel Redding and Mitch Mitchell are, are, are British guys. Uh, <clears throat> somebody had to be far away from home to have that band together. So eventually, uh, Hendrix puts together an all-black uh, American band, the Band of Gypsies. And that's, I think, the greatest live album, live rock album ever recorded, Band of Gypsies with Machine Gun and, uh, you know, uh, Buddy Miles, a, a great solo musician in his own right, plays drums on that. And, and, and the live version of uh, Them Changes that's on that record is just amazing. Um, and so, yeah, Band of Gypsies was Hendrix's uh, attempt to really uh, appeal to black audiences, and he had sort of limited success with that. So anyway, uh, speaking of, of uh, Up From Some Dirt's uh, 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 applies for a job, uh, Up From Some Dirt applies for a job, 
you know, I, I, I was really struck by that line. You know, I, I keep the sons and daughters of Nat Turner don't follow me back when I heart thingy all their posts on Instagram. And, um, you know, there's some, there's some real bitter sarcasm in that line about, uh, you know, maybe the black, the, the lack of black unity, um, the age-old problem of uh, African-American artists essentially living in a world of, of white artists, you know, uh, ignored by uh, uh, the great masses of, of, uh, of, of, a, of a working class black America that, that, that really inspires them to, to their work, you know. Uh, so uh, I won't say too much about that. Uh, I just, uh, I wanted to uh, give uh, Up From Some Dirt some, some time on this podcast. Uh, this book, Deifying the Total Darkness, is wonderful. Uh, it's challenging. It is uh, stylistically, uh, structurally different. I mean, these are not poems that you expect, so every page is a, is a surprise. It is not... And, and the thing that I appreciate most about... Ronald Davis, a.k.a. Up From Some Dirt, is um, they're not pretentious, not a pretentious guy. So this, I wish I could show you this cover. If you if you Google Deifying the Total Darkness by Up From Some Dirt, you will see this beautiful cover of this book. It's, it's on card paper. Uh, it's in these African colors, red, black, yellow, uh, a little bit of blue on, on his hat. There's... There's this uh, African uh, warrior uh, with a sword, but he's dressed in uh, jeans and sneakers, and he has cut off the right, the left paw of a lion under uh, a sun that is that is uh, obsidian, an obsidian-friendly, leaf-eyed sun in the sky, and he's uh, wagging his finger at the lion like, you know, you're not going to get me. And there's all these little touches like the lion's paws on the back. Um, I am uh, ignorant about a lot of African aesthetics uh, and mythology and all these things. This is, and, and, and this is something that a lot of intellectuals uh, complain about. Uh, you, you don't get a, an education in America, in a country that's 30% uh, or, you know, 20, 20% to 30%, I don't know what it is, you know, uh, well, let's say the country is probably 20% black and culturally 50% black. If you think about the impact of black cultural production, the, the blues and popular culture, um, you know, so much of what is American popular culture is black. And so, um, but then you don't get an education about Africa or Africans or, or any of these things. So, um, you know, I'm sure there's some story with the... Uh, lion's paw there, but I don't know what that's about. Uh, this book I'll probably be pecking at for the next five years. Um, I highly recommend that you do the same, and it, or at least check out what Up From Some Dirt's doing as an artist uh, and a writer. So, uh, that brings me to my other poem by a different poet, uh, Charles Bukowski, who uh, a lot of people uh, hate, and a lot of people love. Charles Bukowski uh, also did not uh, go to university. Uh, 
I think he dropped out of Los Angeles Community College in the 1940s. Uh, he was uh, a notorious uh, alcoholic. Uh, you know, grew up in, in kind of a white trash poverty of Los Angeles. His uh, mother was a German immigrant. His father was an American soldier who occupied uh, parts of Germany at the end of World War One. met met his mother. His father was like first generation German American. Um, so, uh, you know, my name is Schmidt. I, I kind of identify with a lot of that. Um, uh, I identify with uh, the alcoholism, not necessarily the glorification of it. Um, I was never one of those guys that's a, a, a Bukowski fan, like he's the greatest ever. Uh, I knew a lot of people, especially in the days when I, when I was uh, a drunk and I hung out in bars in my twenties. I was in a bar every night, and uh, people would go, "Oh, have you read Charles Bukowski?" And this is in the nineties. Uh, the movie Barfly had come out. Some people were really into the Bukowski thing, and I just I wasn't. I kind of rejected it, and then and then you know I'm I'm going to university because I was a university poet, you know, and you're not supposed to like Charles Bukowski. But interestingly enough, the book I'm about to share from is called, uh, it was a, one of the posthumous, one of the many posthumous um, collections uh, published uh, of, of Bukowski had many, many, many books published after his death. Um, this one's called Pleasures of the Dam Damned. Bukowski died in 94. Uh, he was born in the 20s. Uh, so when Pleasures of the Dam came out, uh, it, unlike, it got sort of a different treatment than a lot of Bukowski stuff, which was published by, uh, used to be published by Black Sparrow Press, and, and the books sold well, and uh, in many bookstores you had to go and ask for the book, uh, because people would steal his books, like he, he, was, there, he was a cult classic uh, for decades, uh, you know, he came out of Los Angeles. He's uh, very much associated with the city of Los Angeles and Skid Row in Los Angeles and, and uh, horse gambling and, and dive bars and that sort of life. He, he's been referred to as the Poet Laureate of, uh, of uh, Skid Row. Uh, he also wrote novels. His 1971 novel, Post Office, is a classic uh, I think that's maybe 1970 or 71, shortly after that, followed by a, a longer novel called Women, which remains something of a classic, Ham on Rye, uh, and uh, there's four of them that I think are great in factotum. Those four novels, I think, are, are, are wonderful. They're autobiographical, and they describe a, a certain kind of, uh, you know, white, German-American, ethnic low-class, white trash life that uh, many of us identify with. Um, so uh, one of the... There's a lot of things to dislike about Bukowski. He's, uh, you know, he, he's, he's not academic, <laughs> uh, if, if you care about that. He's, uh, at times, you know, he's really, you know, sexist and... and piggish like that and uh at times and uh 
but he has his virtues. You know, for all of his vices, he has his virtues. And, and one of his virtues is, especially if you're a critic of patriarchy, is he's, he's very anti-patriarchal, even as he's a, a, a misogynist and a sexist pig, you know. He, he is, uh, he, well, he has, you know, he's this very kind of stereotypical German-American father. You know, you need to work hard. You know, work hard, this, this kind of uh, uh, self uh, or, or uh, meta-oppressive, meta-oppressive uh, consciousness of workaholism, like working-class workaholism which I, I could totally identify with in my own family of, you know, well, we work hard, so, <laughs> you know, like, you, where does it get you? Or, uh, or you know, we're unhappy or we're living in, in you know, in a state of, uh, of uh, spiritual and emotional poverty because of, of, of all of this, uh, all, of all of this hard work that's not getting us anywhere. And so uh, I think it's very, very common, um, Especially white working class people in America, and I, and I and I feel like I'm speaking for a lot of my own people here. Uh, you know, there's people like I work hard and and I have nothing and have no time for my family, and I'm proud. I'm proud of being exploited. You know, and they'll never ever ever um, identify with others. You know. Uh, other people are lazy or not as clever or as hardworking as, as we are. We're, you know, we're, they keep us down because we work so hard. Uh, you know, it's not because uh, employers are greedy and employees are powerless, you know. They, it's some other reason. Uh, so Bukowski is always sort of calling his, his own father out on his hypocrisy, his, this, this, uh, protective mask of, you know, we work hard, I'm hardworking. Because his father, you know, in the 1930s in the Depression was often out of work. Um, And so they lived in horrible poverty. Another thing I like about Bukowski's writing about his upbringing in the Depression and his youth in the 1940s is he does not... uh, He does not promote any of the myths that come out of the depression in World War II of this, you know, this America where everybody got along and and pulled their own weight and helped each other out and lifted each other up, you know, this kind of New Deal uh, uh, mythology, which, you know, I, I admit I fall under the spell of this kind of uh, FDR era New Deal mythology, hey, we can do it, Rosie the River kind of mythology that, you know, somehow... Um, you know, it was it was a better country where there, you know, you know there was no racism because you know the government suppressed that image. You know, there was uh, everybody there was full employment. Uh, well, yeah, but at what cost? And you know, I'm talking about in the '40s. You know, uh, you know they they achieved uh, full employment after everybody was uh, slaughtered on the beaches of Anzio, and there were nobody left to to uh, you know to work. Uh, my own grandmother worked at Bethlehem Steel during the war in the 40s. And as soon as the war was over and a man needed a job, she was uh, fired. As so many uh, thousands, if not millions of women in America who had decent jobs in, in manufacturing were fired uh, to make a place for men. So, um, you know, all of these uh, uh, 
things that happened, uh, all of these not so beautiful images get sort of, uh, scrubbed out and whitewashed out of history. Uh, you know, the depression, uh, was not a time of, you know, we were all poor, but we had, we helped each other out. Uh, Bukowski describes a, a world of greedy, petty, cruel people, ignorant, dirty, drunk, insane. Uh, this is, uh, and as, uh, his autobiographical material heads into the fifties and the sixties and the seventies, the country, you know, uh, remains, uh, cruel and insane and, uh, and drunk and, 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 and crazy and greedy and, and, and just with maybe, uh, you know, a, a better, more plastic material economy or whatever. But, um, so, uh, Bukowski can be very difficult to read because he's so bitter and, and, uh, you know, you're not going to get too much uplift out of Bukowski and, uh, he's, you know, personally just kind of a prick, you know, he thinks he's, uh, especially in his earlier work, he's sort of separate from it all. He's, he's so alienated that he's alienating himself into this almost sociopathic voyeuristic sort of voice that some people find understandably very uncomfortable. And, uh, maybe this is a, a function of being a white boy, you know, white boys are, are good at being, uh, alienated sociopaths. So. You know, we read it and dig it and other people don't. Um, but, uh, you know, if you can understand where he's coming from and, and uh, what, what the contexts are of his work, it, it, it's maybe a little bit more understandable. But uh, Bukowski uh, did not like his father because his father beat him, like, uh, beat him brutally his whole life. Uh, brutalized him and uh, abused his mother. And, and um, so if you read the novel Ham on Rye, you get the whole... Uh, fictionalized story of his uh, growing up in, a, in, a, in, in poverty in, a, in an abusive home, in a physically, emotionally abusive home. Um, this poem's called The Bakers of 1935 by Charles Bukowski uh, from uh, the posthumous collection The Pleasures of the Damned, published by Echo in 2000-some. I... I can't find it, but it's not hard to find this book. The Bakers of 1935. My mother, father, and I walked to the market once a week for our government relief food. Cans of beans, cans of weenies, cans of hash, some potatoes, some eggs. We carried the supplies in large shopping bags, and as we left the market, we always stopped outside where there was a large window where we could see the bakers kneading the flour into the dough. There were five bakers, large young men, and they stood at five large wooden tables working very hard, not looking up. They flipped the dough in the air and all the sizes and designs were different. We were always hungry, and the sight of the men working the dough, flipping it in the air, was a wondrous sight indeed. But then it would come time to leave, and we would walk away carrying our heavy shopping bags. Those men have jobs, my father would say. He said it each time, 
every time he watched the bakers, he would say that. I think I found a new way to make the hash, my mother would say each time. Or sometimes it was the weenies. We ate the eggs all different ways, fried, poached, boiled. One of our favorites was poached eggs on hash. But that favorite finally became almost impossible to eat. And the potatoes. We fried them, baked them, boiled them. But the potatoes had a way of not becoming as tiresome as the hash, the eggs, the beans. One day, arriving home, we placed all our foodstuffs on the kitchen counter and stared at them. Then we turned away. I'm going to hold up a bank, my father suddenly said. Oh no, Henry, please, said my mother. Please don't. We're going to eat some steak. We're going to eat steaks until they come out our ears. But Henry, you don't have a gun. I'll hold something in my coat. I'll pretend it's a gun. I've got a water pistol, I said. You could use that. My father looked at me. You, he said. Shut up. I walked outside. I sat on the back steps. I could hear them in there, talking, but I couldn't quite make it out. Then I could hear them again. It was louder. I'll find a new way to cook everything, my mother said. I'm going to rob a goddamn bank, my father said. Henry, please, please don't, I heard my mother. I got up from the steps, walked away into the afternoon. Well, it's sometimes hard uh, to follow up a Bukowski poem with any kind of commentary. Uh, you know, his meaning is is usually so, uh, you know, it's a surface and flat, uh, which is really the opposite of what uh, Up From Some Dirt is doing. Uh, you know, there's subtle ironies and things, but, you know, Bukowski gives it to you flat. He gives you the... The straight dope, as it were. I don't know uh, really what to say anymore about poems. I, maybe I'll talk a moment about work. And when I was in my 20s uh, doing a lot of uh, work, or you know, a couple years ago, I was in my 40s with a graduate degree and uh, 20 years almost teaching experience, I, I was digging graves. What have I done? Let me, let me make a list here of everything I've done. I was a dishwasher and a busboy. It was my first job. I, I was a pizza maker and uh, you know, I worked in a pizza shop. Uh, what else did I do? I was a janitor at university. I was a furniture mover. I was a telemarketer. Um, what am I missing here? I was a uh, maintenance, uh, apartment maintenance person. Um, uh, I was, uh, a lawnmower, you know, landscaper. Uh, I was, uh, a waiter. I was a cook, uh, in fine dining restaurants. I was a fast food restaurant manager. Uh, I was a third shift gas station attendant. Um, I worked in a photo archives at a university as a student laborer. 
Uh, I worked in a sandwich shop. I worked as a caterer. Um, I worked as a paid political activist on a number of occasions for political campaigns and for uh, various causes. Um, what else have I done? I taught uh, composition uh, as an adjunct professor or instructor at numerous colleges and universities for many years. I was a high school prep, prep uh, preparatory high school teacher uh, in another country other than my own, my home country. Uh, in other words, here in Turkey, uh, I've been a kindergarten teacher, uh, as I am doing right now here in Turkey. I, uh, I have done all kinds of adult education teaching. I've done copy editing. I have, uh, uh, done test, uh, graded tests, uh, standardized test grading. Um, I was a grave digger, uh, you know, cemetery maintenance worker, parks maintenance worker. I was a code enforcement officer for a municipal, uh, for the same municipality. I was a uh, cemetery and, and parks maintainer. Uh, I, I, I know I've left some jobs. Oh, I was a frozen, uh, frozen food and dairy clerk at a supermarket in the summer of 1993. Uh, uh, I've had a lot of different jobs. Um, I've sold, uh, I've been a, uh, retail worker at a mall during the, uh, holiday gift buying season. Um, oh, I, 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 I did a lot of lawn care. I've, I've cut a lot of lawns, man. Uh, yeah, I've done a lot of landscaping and lawn care. Uh, so yeah, I've done physical and intellectual work and, and, uh, work sucks, man. Uh, that's all I have to say about that. It's brutal. Uh, Studs Turkel in, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. He's the late Chicago radio personality, but he has a, uh, a book of, uh, ethnography, ethnographic, uh, interviews called working published in the mid 1960s or maybe 1970, uh, but he, uh, in, in the introduction to that excellent uh, uh, record of uh, mid to late 20th century workers, he says, uh, working is violent. I, I'm paraphrasing maybe, but, but he says that the nature of the workplace is violence. We are coerced into production by the system. Uh, and too often poetry... Uh, Poets run away from that subject. Um, this is why it's not uh, the best thing, as far as I'm concerned, to, hey, I got a scholarship. I never scrub floors or clean toilets. I've cleaned toilets. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it's not good to just go straight to the university and all the way to the top of the White Tower. Uh, let me stress white in the White Tower. Um, uh, without time in the bowels of, of uh, laboring hell. I, 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 I uh, innately trust poets who have um, that kind of uh, consciousness in their writing, this kind of uh, worker's consciousness, uh, the uh, calloused hands. I'm not a, 
a Bolshevik or a communist or or or, or even a Marxist. I'm, I'm my my politics are fairly centric. You know, uh, I I haven't evolved much past that FDR Fabian uh, kind of uh, democratic politics. Uh, people on the far left would, would would call me. He's a neoliberal. I don't I don't know what any of that means. Um, I'm nervous about you know paychecks that are not attached to work. I don't know how much of that is my own internalized depression as a, somebody who's been a worker my whole life. And uh, you know I, I distrust anyone that gets a paycheck without work, except if they're part of the. Uh, the capitalist class that uh, gets paychecks without working. They just own things that spit um, money back at them. So, I, you know, I don't want to go on a economics uh, or a political diatribe. I, I just want to point out that uh, uh, there's poetry everywhere and a lot of the poetry that I have experienced. Uh, I mean, material for poetry is... is uh, is in the is in the workplace. Um, so uh, I I also uh, subscribe to a lot of old. I mean, I do believe that work, and I mean like hard work in this you know sick Calvinist kind of way, is redemptive. Work is redemptive. I don't believe work being exploited for the profit of others is redemptive. I mean, hard work in in of itself separated from the economy, just going and doing work, doing the laundry, cleaning floors, scrubbing toilets, uh, framing a house, you know, whatever the, whatever the, the, the task is, um, you know, licking envelopes, whatever, whatever it is, you know, um, I don't know, shit, data entry, I don't know, work is redemptive on some level it's either that or all of these people i i reject the marxist myth that all of these people that are out working every day that are working themselves to death that their life is meaningless until the revolution comes and, and redeems them uh i think it's very important for artists to uh and i mean working class artists to redeem their ancestors and uh i know that's something I don't know if, if Bukowski was redeeming or rebuking his am, ancestors, uh, but in, in some of his poetry, he, has, uh, uh, he gets out of his uh, sociopathic mode and he, and he does uh, have a lot of sympathy for fellow workers, you know, and people that uh, aren't able to step out of themselves as a, as a, as a worker, as, as he did as, a art, as an artist. Uh, you know, Bukowski was able to step out of himself as a worker. Um, certainly, uh, up from some dirt's raison d'etre is, uh, is to redeem, uh, the ancestors as, as, uh, he refers to them and others refer, uh, to their, to their lost ancestors. Um, I'm named after, my name is Joe. I'm named after, uh, a guy named Joe, my grandfather, who was a child coal miner, and then uh, a professional boxer, and then a soldier, combat soldier, and then a longshoreman and a uh, New York City sanitation worker who's dead more or less from being worked to death uh, in his mid-50s. And, uh, you know, many of us know 
men and women like that that just were simply worked to death. And uh, everybody, you know, beat their chests and talks about, you know, what a man, what a strong person. Um, but we know that our our ancestors could have been uh, could have been Mozart or Rembrandt or something like that. Oh, I've I've sort of depressed myself. Uh, it's Saturday. I have a day off. I've been working very hard lately, so uh, maybe that's uh, cause for my my choice of poems today. If you're following the podcast, uh, uh, if it's been a little bit since the 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 audio version of the podcast has been out. Uh, don't worry, there will be more. Uh, I don't have a regular schedule for them because uh, there's no uh, revenue that uh, allows me to do that. If you enjoy this, I will keep putting them out. And when uh, people start generating revenue, uh, you know, subscribing uh, with money, uh, I can start making uh, a, a scheduled uh scheduled podcasts or whatever uh, that came out a little bit like a thread uh, if you're listening to this this will be posted as a free podcast uh, I appreciate your listening um, don't let my uh, don't let my working class blues get you down uh, what you can do if you don't have money is like and share and comment on these and uh, get the word out that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm making these things and I hope whatever you do in life, uh, whether you work or not, uh, I hope you have a good life. If you are working, don't work too hard and uh, try to carve out a little space for living for yourself. And uh, I don't know, write a poem or something.